Hello, and welcome to ScriptCast Conversations. I'm your host, Allison Malden. Today I'm talking to television writer Mark Franklin Williams. Mark has written on the Amazon show Just Add Magic and Leverage Redemption for IMDb TV, as well as upcoming projects for Showtime, Lionsgate, and Amazon. It's easy to see why Mark would be a welcome addition to any writer's room. He's wicked smart, but still manages to make you feel at ease. Plus, if you're writing next to him in a coffee shop and have to run to the bathroom, he will guard your laptop with his life. <laughs> Here's me with Mark. Oh, you know what? I need to turn off my space heater. <laughs> now that's important. It's been chill these last couple of nights. It has been, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I know. It's like anywhere else in the country, this would probably be like warm spring weather but yeah. once you get the california in your blood then everything is like 10 degrees colder to you yeah well no it's like you know i'm from boston <laughs> so i know what below 10 with snow feels like but now <laughs> it drops below 65 and i'm complaining <laughs> it's like the best yeah. of both worlds because i get to complain when it's kind of chilly but i also get to complain about other people who complain about it being chilly that's so true. I mean, and that's really what we're all looking for is the maximum opportunity for complaint. Oh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> I, I know that is for me anyway, but um, so you grew up in Boston. Was that like like Boston proper? Like, yeah, I grew up in how- the heart of the city, Roxbury, Massachusetts. Uh, and yeah, I was kind of raised, bounced between Boston and Barbados for most of my childhood. Mm. Until about middle school was when I came to live in Boston permanently. Oh, that's so interesting. Cause you, so you were going from cold to warm, oh, yeah. cold to warm. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is my mother. My family came over when my mother was 10 from the island. And so she explained the moment when she stepped out of the airport and for the first time in her life discovered that cold could be something that just existed in the air. <laughs> She thought it was like limited to beverages exactly. or in ice a cream fridge or something. or something, but no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Well, so does that explain why you don't have a Boston accent? Yeah, it's kind of funny because I end up by going back and forth between two extreme accents because the Bostonian accent is pretty recognizable. And mm-hmm. Barbados is known for being the most mumbly of the island accents. Oh, really? Yeah. And somehow the two just kind of ended up canceling each other out. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think it left me with something unique. <laughs> yeah. Do you slip into an accent when you talk to your family? Depends on how much rum I've had. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. So when did you start taking an interest in uh tv writing how did you come to this well it's funny because like my path to tv writing and screenwriting was actually pretty straightforward i read a lot as a kid i was the kid who was known for walking into doors and walls and shit (laughs) because i always had my nose in some fantasy novel um and so when my family got our first computer when i was like around 11 or so 
I used it to start writing, to recreate those really cool adventures that I was reading about my entire life. Uh, and I started with short stories. Eventually, those short stories kind of grew into longer novellas. Um, and I was doing this when I was like 11, 12, 13. So I was always going to be a writer. It was just about finding my media. Uh, mm -hmm. In college, I took a screenwriting course. My professor encouraged me to pursue it further. So I applied to dramatic writing graduate programs, got accepted to one in Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon. And that validated screenwriting as a career choice for me. So once yeah. I was kind of on that path, it was just about getting through the program and then after graduation, moving out to L.A. and starting kind of the hustle from the bottom up. Yeah. Did you always have a fondness for TV when you were growing up or did it kind of come to you as you discovered uh, television writing? Yeah, it's funny because like I actually came out to L.A. to do feature writing. Um, when I was a kid, the stuff that kind of drew me were those mid-budget indie flicks, you know, kind of like the two emotional relationship kind of movies. And mm -hmm. so I came out here to kind of like write those types of films. I happened to come out here when those type of films just started drying up. Uh, the feature industry was kind of going through a bit of a dark period, but TV was booming. And so mm -hmm. over time, I found myself kind of naturally drawn there. And I was lucky enough to have learned in grad school enough about format to be able to make that transition relatively easily. So mm -hmm. it's more like I came out here to do feature work, but TV found me. And I eventually kind of learned to both appreciate and love the specific craft of writing television. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the process. I mean, I've begun learning television and for me it's been super challenging because as many hours of TV as I watch every week, week upon week for my whole life, you know, mm. it's like for some reason I've always thought in more of a feature film format, like as a writer. So, um, just having watched a lot of TV did not translate for me to like a, a natural kind of sense of the TV structure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting how, I mean, did you, did you find that the, that grad school was really useful to you or do you think uh, you could have picked it up along the way? I think you definitely could pick it up along the way for me personally what grad school gave me was a set of tools to be able to be consistent with work. So I kind of just know how to take an idea and at the very least build it out to an outline and then eventually a full script and just do it even if it's not an idea I'm not particularly passionate about. Um, mm. And that helps a lot, being able to just kind of put the table together. But that <laughs> is something you can pick up along the way I would argue the most helpful thing a grad program could give you is the beginnings of a network, the beginnings mm -hmm. of people who you can kind of like work alongside and you all grow together. You have a community and it's very hard to build a community in Los Angeles by yourself if you don't have a couple of ways into that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I have experienced that. I think, I mean, even before the, 
pandemic, it was difficult. But now, if you aren't already established with some friends and um, acquaintances, it's even harder. Or, I mean, I guess there are probably Zoom yeah. mixers <laughs> happening, but is anybody doing that? I don't know. Well, it's, um, see, what's partly happening is if you have a presence on social media, because of the rigors and uh, trials of COVID, high-level writers, showrunners, are a little more willing to just accept a connection or a direct message or a pilot from someone through social media. And so Mm. it has made it a little bit easier to access certain people if they've opened their doors. Um, For me personally, though, I don't have a social media presence. I kind of actively removed myself from that. And so, yeah, then it becomes a little bit more about kind of relying on the network you've already built. Yeah. Well, this is an interest. It's interesting you brought up social media because it's something I personally struggle with. And uh, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but you know what? It's my podcast. We'll talk about whatever we want. Yes. Yeah, do that <laughs> shit. <laughs> exactly. Um, I really struggle with social media because it's extremely addictive mm-hmm. and it, it's I guess this is the definition of addiction, right? When you keep going to something, even though it leaves you feeling hollow, empty, negative. Uh, And since I've started podcasting, I've opened up my social media a lot more. Because before it, it was very like, I mean, I was off Instagram for like an entire year. And then when I came back, I kept my personal account like very small. Like, I have to know you and be actively. Yeah in a relationship with you to have you as, you know, like to give you access to my account. So then I started the script cast and it has a separate Twitter and Instagram. And I really struggle with it because um, it's, it's the scrolling vortex where you just kind of get sucked in. It's not really giving you anything. It's, it's, it's just taking your attention. I know a lot of people love Twitter, especially writers, um, you know, they found opportunity, they found community that way. I personally don't feel very connected there. Um, but maybe tell, tell me a little bit about how you make it work without going down that rabbit hole, like without kind of taking on the chore of social media. Well, it's funny because I've actually been pretty lucky over the course of my career in terms of the people who I worked with. Um, I started as a writer's assistant and I worked my way up, but I had to be a writer's assistant for about five years. And over the course of those five years, I just went through a lot of different writer's rooms. And so I have a collection of people who both are available to read my work, to give me comments, and who are able to kind of like, I can call to help me, you know, find that next job, or who know to call me if they need somebody, you know, at the staff writer, uh, executive story editor, you know, co-producer level. And so I have been lucky enough to get in at a time before social media really was the main way you made those connections. I was able to Mm -hmm. make some early connections and those early connections still are helping me throughout the course of my career. Uh, You know, I'm currently working uh, on a project with producers who I first met like 
three, four years ago. Uh, and so that's how I'm making it work. I'm kind of leveraging the context that I already had. But nowadays, if you're just starting out, that's exceptionally difficult to do. And it is starting to seem more and more like social media is a necessary part of the game. You know, for those younger writers, it's almost like it's not enough to just be a good writer. You also have to be a good brand manager, a good, hmm. like, um, communications expert. Uh, there's a lot of marketing yourself that goes into it now. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, I, it just fascinates me how that has changed. And it means that there is access to younger writers that wasn't there before. But it does also mean that it's very easy to get kind of lost in the noise, especially if social media isn't the main way that you want to present yourself or present your work. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it could be a generational thing or a, or a personality thing. I don't know, but um, I, it's just not where I want to spend my time. And I guess maybe that shows. And when you look at my social media, like I do uh, just enough to kind of mm -hmm. keep things going. Um, but I'm not out there doing writer sprints. I'm not doing yeah. like uh, hashtag things. I don't know. I don't even know what people are doing. Um, but yeah, it's something that I sometimes feel like, oh, I guess I should be like making myself get out there more but then i'm like isn't my time better spent actually creating the stuff well, I that's don't know. <laughs> that's the thing is like for me personally it's always just the way my workflow goes it's easier for me to build a project than give it to my agent my managers and be like just get the project out to whoever but being realistic about it i can't recommend that same workflow <laughs> to anyone else like in today's game doing those kind of things is important uh making yourself a presence on social media is important when you apply to a lot of the competitions and a lot of the programs now they ask what's your twitter handle how many followers do you have because that's <laughs> important to them now because it becomes an easy way to like, if you have even a small Twitter following, now all of a sudden, that Twitter following is an advantage for any writer's room that is considering hiring you. Because suddenly mm. you become free marketing for the project that you're working on. And so even though social media is something I've distanced myself from, and I've tried to find a way to kind of work around it, if any writer is trying to break in or is starting their career... I have to say being active and building that online community is an important part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> I will. Um, I'm going to keep working on that. I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. There's a, a book that Josh, um, my husband, has been kind of gently poking me to read. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Digital Minimalism. Mm-hmm. He swears it's going to answer all my questions about <laughs> how to market myself, how to have a social media presence without losing my whole life to it. Um, so maybe I'll get back to yeah. you after I read the book. Uh <laughs> well, also, it's like, it's like just being real about it. It's kind of like it's necessary, but don't get me wrong. I'm annoyed by that shit. 
because it's like <laughs> it feels like it's so much work when it would be easier to just read a project just read a script yeah. and immediately you know everything about the writer you need to know you would think so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and i i feel like my I guess some of the needs that would normally be met on social media, if you're just like a, a solo beginning writer out there, I have a writer's group that I love and I have friends that I can go to for advice, for notes. So a lot of that stuff, I those needs are already met for me. Right. Um, it's, it's more like the professional networking. I hate that word, but, you know, like that kind of thing. Um that's probably lacking on, on my part. So, although I kind of reject the whole idea of networking and I'm just, I just want to meet people, yeah. and, you know, get to know them. But, uh, well, networking is a dirty word and kind of rightly so, because it implies that when you go to any kind of event, the relationships you build are purely about what can this person give me yeah. and the strong gross. Yeah. And the stronger relationships and the one that actually leads to more success are when you're going to these events and you're just trying to find someone you vibe with on a creative kind of personal level because that then grows into something that's about more than just the work. And those relationships are the ones that pay off down the line. Yes. It's sort of counterintuitive that you have to go into it not thinking about the transactional nature of it. Yeah. And and just hoping eventually you'll benefit from something or that you can benefit somebody else. Exactly. But, I mean, I used to feel a lot of anxiety going to, I mean, not that I've ever been invited to a ton of, it, like, parties and things here, but just the ones that I did go to, I would feel anxious about. <laughs> and I think maybe um, quarantine has, like, helped me in a way because like fully depriving m myself of that interaction now i'm like damn it sounds fun <laughs> i'm like what was i ever worried about just I, like people, to go please. out and like meet people yeah <laughs> yeah like just just like go to a bar and have a drink and like chit chat with people it just it sounds wonderful i can't wait to do that again yeah um well let's talk about like like what you're working on and and as part of my new format with the podcast, I've come up with like a handful of questions and this is like the most, I guess this is the trickiest one. Cause if you don't, if you aren't legally able to talk about whatever project you're on, mm -hmm. we'll talk about something else. But I do want to know like what you're working on and the two sides of it, like what's great and fun about it and what's hard okay. and challenging about it. Well, yeah, well, I'm working on a couple of different things. You know, last year I was in a writing room for Leverage Redemption, the reboot series of a show from like the early 2000s. This year I'm working more on spec. The biggest thing I'm doing right now is working with that team of producers I mentioned earlier to develop a pilot based on The Toy Makers, which is a wonderful book by Robert Dinsdale. It follows a family of Jewish immigrants who own a magic toy store in the early 1900s in London. And over time, it kind of becomes a, an indictment of war and the way it kind of destroys everything, including, you know, literal magic. Uh, so oh, that's wow. been a lot of fun to work on. 
in addition to that, I have a feature I can't really talk about, but it's an action thriller based on some of the insane politics we're living through right now in America. And finally, I've had a chance to do some freelance work for an animated series on Amazon. So I have a couple of different, you know, balls in the air, but what's great about it is it's really nice to work on a lot of different material. You know, these are all projects I find a lot of fun. And because I'm switching from like feature to TV to animation, I don't really get bored. It kind of helps keep the momentum going and avoid that kind of burnout feeling when you're like mm. deep in a work and you actually kind of start hating it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Did you feel like, um, uh, hmm, those are such very different mediums yeah like especially animation i feel like that's a real outlier i don't know how was it adjusting to did you have to like learn new skills or was it kind of a natural transition between the three it was actually more of a natural transition in terms of the writing that you may think uh the harder stuff is all around the business side of it animation isn't covered under the writer's guild so there's less contracts, less protections as a freelance writer. So that side of things is not great. But in terms of the work, you're kind of doing the same stuff, um, mm. especially because I've been working mainly in the adult animation space. So for all intents and purposes, I'm just writing a half hour you know, sitcom, uh, just one where the characters can do stuff like grow large to punch a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, can we go back and talk about the toy project? What was that called again? The Toy Makers. The Toy Makers. Yeah. So is this also an adult story or is it? Yeah, so this would for... be, this is an hour-long drama set in the east end of London. Uh, it's kind of in the vein of uh, Mr. Selfridge, uh, you know, those kind of like slice of life shows. Uh, but it's has just that little bit of surrealism and, you know, magical realism sprinkled on top. Uh, mm -hmm. So really what it is more than anything is a slice of life show about the people who work in this magic toy store and how the political upheaval of the early 1900s in London affect their day-to-day -day lives. You know, how mm -hmm. those big kind of like decisions made by a government trickle down and actually do help or ruin just day-to-day -day life for day-to-day -day people. Um, mm -hmm. And then we kind of use the environment of a magic toy store as a way to kind of like soften that potentially very depressing environment and mm -hmm. also make it a more accessible world you know so our protagonist is a black woman from british uh middle class who gets ignored a lot in the 1900s like i said the store itself is owned by jewish immigrants who had to emigrate from russia to escape the mm -hmm. persecution there and so it's very much about finding community and fitting in in what is potentially a culturally and socially hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Just when you were describing the setting and the concept, I immediately started getting 
a picture of it. And I'm wondering, like, what the aesthetic is. Because it sounds, I mean, it sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. Magic and old-fashioned toys and, you know, 19th century London. Mm -hmm. Or I I think I might have gotten the wrong number for the century. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it just sounds gorgeous. Well, yeah, like we've had a lot of discussions about the aesthetic and, you know, we're still in the process of nailing it down. This is very early in development. Uh, But right now, our main kind of takeaways are those toy stores, kind of like FAO Schwartz. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But take that glitz, take that glamour and get rid of all that. You know, this is kind of grounded, a little bit grittier. We kind of want it to feel as dirty as 1900s East London should feel to mm-hmm. really drive home the point that this place, this magic toy store, is an escape for people. And that's why it kind of needs to be protected. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so exciting. Um, it almost, it's it honestly sounds like something all ages could yeah. watch, although I don't know what kind of rating it's going to have in the end, but... It sounds like I don't even I don't even know. It fe- it feels like something a family could sit down and watch without being like a schmaltzy, um, saccharine family show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's definitely what we're aiming for. Uh, this should be, I mean, this is a show for adults about childhood, and so mm. it's kind of pull in on some of those nostalgic strings to take you back to that time. But it's kind of recontextualizing it and, you know, sort of playing with the idea of what needs to be done to protect that illusion of childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk at the end of the at the end here about where people can keep a lookout for all these things, because that sounds really exciting. Um, it actually reminds me of. I just saw a trailer for a new version of Pinocchio, um, but it, it it was an Italian production, I think. It sounded like they were speaking Italian. I wasn't paying super close attention, but it was really beautiful. Mm. And that almost seems like it could be like akin to what you're talking about, although it's probably a different time period. Um, so what is challenge most challenging about what you're working on right now honestly the biggest challenge is simply (laughs) is balancing real life you know Mm. because writing is something you can always be doing it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking you should always be doing it and when you go to when you can go to an office or a coffee shop or a library you take the work with you And then you get to come back home and home is home. But Mm -hmm. at least for me, now that work is home, it's a lot harder to institute work hours and make sure that they stick. Um, You know, sometimes I have to spend like 10 hours in front of a computer screen. Uh, So when balancing all of these different projects, making sure to pay just as much attention to home life and self-care and all that stuff is tricky. It's something I'm always trying to balance better to make sure that I'm not just spending 10 hours in front of a computer screen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any tricks or are you still working on that part? (laughs) 
I'm, I'm still working on it. But it's mainly about, honestly, just listening to myself when it comes to... There's kind of this natural moment where your body goes, I just need to stand up. Just need to take a break. So it's just about listening to that and honestly just setting alarms and setting actual time to be away from the work and let it go. Yeah. I have been um, on my own little journey with uh, work-life balance since I started the podcast. I mean, you know, this whole year, 2020, was like a time out of time in a way for me because I was not working outside the home. I was on unemployment, and that's really what made the podcast possible. Mm -hmm. But I had never had the experience of just having... I mean, you're right, like, home, uh, writing is homework constantly, and I can't remember who said that. I don't know if it was Lawrence Kasdan or some famous screenwriter said being a screenwriter <laughs> is like signing up for lifelong homework. Yep. Um, but to me, like, part of the, like, prepackaged writer personality that so many of us were handed out at birth is, like, procrastination. So it yeah. wasn't... <laughs> Like Procra taking time out. No, it's just <laughs> it's like, like built in. Yeah, procrastination is process. <laughs> yes, yes. But then, like, when I added on other projects, like the podcast, it just became like almost an a reflex mm -hmm. to get up and wander into the office and, well, see, what can I do now? Maybe I should answer some emails. I got, you know. There's just always something, and it bled into the weekends yep. because sometimes I was doing weekend stuff, and I've so far I've had to really like take a a structured approach where I say this day out of the week is the day I do housework, and this day is the day I do rest, and um, it has to change sometimes based on what my weekly schedule is it's yeah. not always the same day but that's the only way I've been able to maintain any balance and that it sounds insane it must sound insane to someone who's like working a full-time job has kids and is trying to do creative stuff because they're like what are you talking about you have so much time mm -hmm. but that's almost a problem yep. right it's because it expands to fill yeah. <laughs> the time allotted and a lot of the work is mental and so it's the kind of thing where even if you're not actively writing you're you could be thinking about what you're writing you could be trying to solve a story hitch and so even if you're not actively in front of the computer it doesn't mean that you're necessarily present in whatever the moment is or whatever you're doing currently and so mm -hmm. It's very important, I'm starting to find, to give yourself those boundaries. Like you said, you know, this day is the day I'm going to focus on housework and just completely ignore, you know, the homework side of it. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you can mentally be in a project pretty much 24-7. That's so true. And honestly, I'm, I'm super excited that you brought up, like, how much writers live in their stories because mm -hmm. I'm I'm really interested in the like interior lives of writers mm -hmm. because a lot of the things that I 
do and have always done, I don't know if they're like quote unquote normal or if they're weird or, you know, I don't really care if they're weird, so be it. But like, do you think about your characters when you're falling asleep? Do you think about scenes? Do you like, I've found something that I'm missing and that I should work on getting back in my life is a little bit more boredom yeah. because, you know, I, I tend to pack my waking life full of podcasts and, um, well, mostly podcasts, but then, you know, we sit down at the end of the day and we watch TV, we read before bed. But so like almost all of my waking time is there's input yeah. coming in. And uh, it's just, in I'm interested to hear how, like what your interior life is like as you go about your day when you're, you're not on the clock necessarily, but you're still probably thinking about that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's can sometimes be hard to catch that where you think you're just doing dishes and you realize, oh no, I've actually for the last half an hour been thinking about that project I told myself I wanted to think about today. <laughs> um, and it's also funny because I like the way you said input, you know, you know, April, my partner, we, you know, do daily meditations. At the end of the day, we watch the news. And every now and again, you know, I get the question, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to do anything? And what do you want to watch? What do you want to listen to? And some days it's kind of just like, honestly, I just want to sit here and do absolutely nothing <laughs> because I want just an hour without input without hearing mm -hmm. someone else's voices, without hearing, you know, any kind of sound, just to remember what that's like, because you can <laughs> spend so much time in your head uh, doing everything from running lines for characters to mm -hmm. trying to figure out the perfect way to phrase that scene description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely find myself doing that. And I... Personally, I just tend to let it happen because I'm really bad at the sitting and not doing anything mm. uh, like that. That feels like basically impossible for me. <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if this is healthy, but like if we were hanging out and you're like, let's just chill for an hour. Let's not really <laughs> schedule an activity. <laughs> I'd be like, OK. And I would probably immediately revert to uh, thinking about my script as a means of entertaining myself. Yeah. Um, but do you think it's important, at least for you, to like push that away sometimes and sometimes. give your mind a break? A hundred percent. Because it's kind of like, you know, what I have started trying to do is institute real office hours. Like I'm working from 930 to noon and then two to three in the afternoon. And then let my brain relax when I'm not actually on the clock. Because, A, the more you... Th the brain is, you know, kind of a muscle, honestly. The mm. more you work mm -hmm. it, the more tired it's going to get. So eventually you need to stop thinking. Otherwise, what you're kind of processing isn't really going to be the sharpest thing or the best mm. version of that thought. But also because it's important to be present in the moment because real life provides so much input 
and so much like necessary experience that then shades and colors whatever you're working on. You know, if you just a hundred percent living your head, you're just gonna kind of start regurgitating the same concepts and same ideas and same images. You do need that input from the real world. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very important. I and like something that is so easy for me to let slip is that like being present in the moment wherever you are, like uh especially with phones now. And I guess this goes back to the social media thing. Like yeah. how many interesting and weird moments and interactions have I missed out on because I was scrolling my phone in the doctor's office yeah. or in the grocery line or uh you know. Um that's very it's good to talk about this because <laughs> I think a lot of us understand um on a superficial level that this is what we need, but we don't live it out yeah. in our day-to-day lives. So it's really good to talk about this and just be reminded. Um, well, you think about... Put your phone down. <laughs> yeah, well, you think about what usually ends up being the best inspiration, be it for a moment or an entire, you know, script. And it's usually some story you stumble across, some like image you happen to see on TV or just a random interaction you have out in the real world that usually gives you something that then kind of gets your mind going. And I would be actually really interested to see how social media has affected our willingness to just approach strangers in the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, And also our concentration, but mainly that first thing, because (laughs) those types of random interactions are so important to building a sense of your own identity and your own kind of like creative identity, what you choose to take away from those random interactions and how you interpret those random interactions help define you creatively. And as we kind of start building ourselves away from having those random interactions, you know, even if it's just because we're out of practice, because we're constantly on our phones when we're waiting for the bus or waiting in line in the supermarket or whatever, it does feel like creatively as writers, we're losing a massive source of inspiration. You know, we're losing the inspiration we get from each other. Yeah, it does. And I think even if those things that we notice going about our everyday lives, even if it doesn't prove useful to whatever current project we're working on or whatever problem we're trying to solve in that moment, it's it's going in the bank, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and eventually uh, that conversation you had uh, you know, like a little snippet of that is going to make it into a, some dialogue that you write yeah. or um, a character. I, I just think like, mm, yeah, it's just we should be living lo- the life, the richest like life we can. Yep. And not because everything has to serve our creative pursuits, but... 
just because like we need to be fully rounded human beings and it's been hard to I want to blame the pandemic, but actually it's always been hard to do that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like social media certainly is a part of it. Our, just the way our society has started to fragment is also part of it. And yeah, the pandemic has made it harder. You know, I think when this started, everyone who had a creative streak had this vision of all the shit they'd be able to get down, done now that they're locked down. And Mm -hmm. what I think we discovered is when you're in the same space for such a long period of time, it actually becomes so much harder to create because, A, every little thing around you can now potentially be a distraction, but also you don't have those just daily accidents that provide you with what you need to then create. You know, everything is kind of static and you can't really grow or make something out of static. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So when you envision us all going back to whatever our new normal is Mm -hmm. after vaccinations and everything have become widespread. um, First, I guess this is two parts. Do you think you'll continue working from home? And part second part, how do you think you'll go about like trying to keep those random uh, accidental um, what's the word I'm looking for serendipitous type <laughs> events? You know. Yeah. Well, for me, it's kind of like if the world is vaccinated, all of a sudden working remotely means being able to go back in the world and work from a coffee shop, a library, a bookstore. It means working from home doesn't necessarily mean sitting in the home office to get it done. And Mm -hmm. that, the ability to return to that, I think, provides a lot of those happy accidents where now you're out in the world getting work done The environment is changing, which helps the creative juices flow. And you have an opportunity to have those happy accidents, to have those uh, unexpected interactions that pave the way for future inspiration. And so Mm -hmm. for me, at least, the answer is, you know, to no longer work from this one desk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've always been terrible at working in coffee shops. I like, I find it so distracting and... I think I'm like, what do I do with my laptop while I go to the bathroom? Do I take it with me? Do I lo- do I give up my table to go to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, going to the bathroom is a big consideration. Yeah. Well, no, well that's when you like look over at the homie one table over and just go, you're going to watch this for me, right? Like someone tells when you're in a coffee shop and someone asks you to watch their shit, all of a sudden you go from complete stranger to like, I am your guardian. I will defend the <laughs> gates. Someone comes for this laptop. We are throwing hands. <laughs> I have Im- been imbued with this responsibility. God damn it. <laughs> May we all hope to be seated next to you <laughs> at the coffee shop next time. Oh, I got my a gosh, spork and great. I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> well, let's go to our lightning round. All right. 
Um, first off, what are you watching these days? Uh, Movies just, or TV? Uh, just finished WandaVision. It was all right. Mm. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I haven't seen it, and I, I don't know if I'm going to. I'm not... Um, I'm not like a Marvel hater mm. or anything, but I'm also not that that not that drawn to it. Um, but yeah, I would say it's a good version of a Marvel series. I didn't quite think it stuck the land in, but if that universe doesn't hold anything specific, then you're fine. You're you're not missing a major cultural touchstone. Well, that's kind of the reason, that's probably the reason I would watch it, is just to know what the hell everyone's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Um, so, what are you listening to, and this could be podcasts or music? Denzel Curry. Uh, Denzel Curry is one of my, just, top three current rap artists. Uh, he released an album last year called Unlocked. He released a remix album, Unlocked 1.5, recently. And so I've had both of those just on repeat. Dude is just oh, this is one of the most energetic, just energetic, powerful voices in hip hop. Oh, that's really exciting. You're the first person so far to to recommend um, music. Uh, so I'm going to have to check him out. And do you listen to music when you're writing? I do. I mostly listen to like lo-fi, like either lo-fi soundtracks Things that are not really distracting. Uh, mm-hmm. Oddly enough, I have one soundtrack I always go back to, which is the Silent Hill 2 original <laughs> soundtrack. Because when you're doing shit that's about small town kind of creepy vibes, that gets you in the mood. Oh, wow. That is a very specific oh, and yeah. unexpected recommendation. <laughs> that I'm, well, I will definitely link to that, too. Um, what are you reading? And this can be books, articles, other people's scripts. I am actually slowly working my way through Dune. Finally. Interesting. Like, it's been on my to-read list since I was a kid. Uh, and while I love the world building and the prose is great, I, what's making it take so long is I cannot bring myself to care about these characters. (laughs) It's like, it's a Duke's son. Like, I don't care about royalty. Like, make that story Mm -hmm. about the Duke's cook or the Duke's cleaner. Mm -hmm. Like, people who aren't allowed to be heroes traditionally. And suddenly I'm more interested. Yeah, that's... I have never read Dune either, but the new... Is it a re... I don't know if it's a reboot or, like, a sequel. It's kind of like... That's coming out. It's a reboot. And it's sort of... It's kind of just like... There has there have been so many attempts to just do Dune correctly, and I think this is the latest swing of that. It looks really good. I mean, just the visuals and the trailer. I'm I can't wait. Uh, it probably would have come out already if we weren't in a shutdown. I'm assuming, but um, I'll try to find out its new release date and put that in the show notes too. Uh, and, and and good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, luck I, I'm a halfway through, so I think I can finish it up. But it's just like, you know, there are so many characters who are more interesting. And instead I have to follow this 13-year-old who sees through time and pretty much represents every teenage boy's, like, 
awkward teenage boy's ideal of how to be a badass. Well, I mean, it's probably, it's not the first and it won't be the last um, <laughs> manifestation of some writer's <laughs> adolescent point of view. Um, uh, oh, okay. And then the last r- lightning round question is you get to ask me a question. All right. Well, what was the last movie you remember seeing in a theater? So, I'm pretty sure the very last one we saw was Bad Boys for Life. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's a good one. (laughs) It was, it was, that's the kind of movie that I think benefits from being seen in a theater, and it was fun. Um, But the last movie I saw and loved in a theater was probably the, um, Birds of Prey, yeah. the Harley Quinn movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was maybe a week or two before we saw Bad Boys for Life. And I I loved that movie so much that I think we've seen it at least once at home since then. Um, yeah, there are just, certain movies where the theater experience isn't just about seeing it on the big screen, but having the ride with all the other people and like the collective energy, you know, like one of my favorite movie experiences period was when the, I think it was the third Spider-Man, the second or third Spider-Man came out. I can't remember which one, but halfway through the movie, Spider-Man is getting his ass beat by the green goblin. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, then it had to be the first one, actually. But he's getting his ass beat by the Green Goblin. And some dude just ups, jumps up, and yells out at the top of his voice, Yo, call Superman! The entire <laughs> audience burst out laughing. And it's just that kind of, like, sheared excitement where it's just like, you know, that dude was feeling it. That dude was, yes. he was representing all of our like love and energy and excitement for that moment. Uh, and so that's something I definitely miss about like the movie going experience. I can't, I can't wait to yes. be able to have that back. I miss that too. You just gave me goosebumps. Cause I mean, it, it sounds silly, but it is like of all the like fretting and hand wringing that we do collectively about the fate of movie theaters i think that's the thing that will ensure their longevity yeah it's not necessarily the size of the screen the surround sound the comfort of the seats all that stuff is important but what's really important is that energy that an audience generates and you just can't i mean unless you pack your living room full of friends and family you can't replicate that at home yeah um, although, I don't know, I, we used to do watch parties for Game of Thrones, and that was <laughs> a similar, it's not quite, it's a much smaller scale, but yeah. like, you know, just the everyone on the edge of their seat, or, you know, cringing and like shouting and clapping and stuff, those things are just priceless. Um, so yeah, what was the last movie you saw in the theater? It depends, we saw two movies in the same week. And I don't remember which came first. So it was either Parasite or mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah, kind yeah. of just like both of those were excellent to see on the big screen, especially Parasite. Like mm-hmm. that movie 
does there's a lot added to that movie when you have a large group collectively gasping at the same moment. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I think we watched that at home. Uh, and it's also kind of not, well, I don't think it's the kind of movie that people immediately think of when they think, oh, must see on the big screen. Yeah. It's, but yeah, that's, I just, I can't wait to get back in the movie theater. Also, it's one of the few places where you can eat, like, an entire oversized bag of Reese's Pieces and not have anyone judge you. (laughs) Hey, what happens in the theater stays in the theater. (laughs) Um, So, we talked about you're not on social media. Um, But if if there are um, shows of yours that people can watch, let's tell them where they can go to see these, where they can... Or when they can start to look out for these? Well, the most of the stuff I have still very much in production. The last thing I worked on that is immediately viewable is Just Add Magic on Amazon. You can just find that on Amazon Prime. Uh, the Leverage reboot, Leverage Redemption, should be coming out shortly. That will end up being on IMDb TV. And since I'm not on social media, I'll plug... Uh, let's go with Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight. <laughs> let's yes. do Fair Fight. You know, absolutely. Hundreds of pieces of legislation, hundreds of them, all about like limiting who has access to the ballot. So you know, hashtag yes. Fair Fight. Check out that cause. Make sure every voter in every election can cast a ballot. Absolutely. Uh, we. I will link to all of those, especially Fair Fight. Um, I hope one day i get to vote for stacy <laughs> fingers crossed I, and i don't mean that speak i want that to move in, to georgia yeah speak that in <laughs> truth speak that into truth yes. <laughs> <laughs> um mark thank you so much for coming to talk with me today and uh it's just been a pleasure and um if there's ever any show of yours there that i can promote with my humble little podcast following please let me know because i'm i'm happy to do it we'll do we'll do thanks for having me on find me on instagram and twitter at the scriptcast i have links to everything we talked about in the show notes help me get the word out about this podcast by leaving a positive rating on apple podcasts shout out to jim boggs who composed the music and as always Thank you for listening. And there are links to everything we talked about in the show notes. <laughs> the show notes. <laughs>